How are y'all doing this morning? Doing good? Awesome. Uh, well, just kind of to continue a personal introduction, my name is Samuel Bueller. Uh, I am a fourth generation pastor's kid. So my life growing up was much of what you would imagine a pastor's life might, or pastor's kid's life might be like, where we had prayer meetings in our house and worship meetings in our house constantly as I was growing up. And my parents would disciple people while folding laundry or doing the dishes because that's the spare time that they had. And so my early experience was getting to see and witness what it's like to live a life that looks like Jesus's life. And I was born in their second church plant, which was in Tallahassee, Florida. And they planted a third church after that, and that was what got us here to Atlanta. So in 2001, we moved here, and they planted that church. And then after serving as leaders of that church and just growing up in that environment, my parents handed that church off um, to some of the other leaders of the church, and we found ourselves here at Riverstone as our home church. So I've been here uh, since 2009, starting out in the youth group, um, grew up having the opportunity to serve on some of the leadership teams for youth group, um, and then that led into me being in some of the college ministry and having an opportunity to be a leader uh, for Dwelling Place uh, during that season of time when Mason and Hannah Tanner were here. They started a college ministry. I got to serve alongside them for most of the years that they were here. And when God called them to move to Nashville, I had the privilege of taking over the college ministry during that season of time. And so my heart is for this church. I've been at this church for a long time. And so it's an honor and a privilege to get to share God's word with you this morning. So if you have your Bibles, if you would like to turn to Matthew 16, that's going to be where we're going to be sitting for most of the morning. This message that uh, I feel like the Lord has placed on my heart to share with you this morning is something that God has been working in me and in my heart and life for the last couple of years. So this is kind of a condensed form of what the Lord has been working in me for a long time. And I feel like he wants me to share it with you. So we're just going to dive in. um, But right before I do, I'm just going to go ahead and pray. So dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for yet another day to get to live and honor you. Father, I pray that as we open your word, that we would see new things that your Holy Spirit would reveal to us, that we would learn to grow in love and learn to be more like you, and that we would see that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that there is no other way but through him. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be starting in verse 13. And as we kind of read through these passages, I'm going to kind of take a couple moments to pause and, and point out some things that I feel like the Lord wants to highlight as we read through the text. So we'll start in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But he said to them, but who do you say that I am? The first thing I want to point out is when Jesus asks these questions, he expects that his followers will have a different response than what the world thinks. So who, who do they, what does the world think about me? What is their opinion? Where the world might go, oh, Jesus, you know, maybe he was a good teacher or, or he was a moral person, or maybe he's someone that you should structure your life around or something that has nothing to do with his actual identity. And you and me, if you're a believer, you see who Jesus is. You see him and you go, no, 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 that's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's, that's the Christ. That's the savior of the world. We have a different view. We have a different perspective. And you'll see 
in the following passage as we continue on, starting in verse 16, how it is that we are able to even see Jesus as who he is. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So we see here in this passage that Jesus is giving Peter a new name, and he's telling him that he is now the rock, and he's going to build the church off of him. And if you go read Acts, you can see the life of Peter, and you can see how God begins to birth the church out of his life. But this also applies to us because we're continuing what Peter started. So what is it that Jesus is building the church on? Well, Peter proclaims who Jesus is. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And it's out of his response, out of his revelation that's been revealed to him by the father that he proclaims who Jesus is. And that is what the church is founded on. So he's saying, that's it. You've got it. That's the point that I am who I am, that I am the savior of the world, that I am the son of God, the living God, that I am the Christ. And that's the foundation of the church. That's the point. And you see, as he continues, he says, and I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. See, we're here at this church because we celebrated last week what Easter is. We wouldn't even be here if we didn't believe what Easter is, which is that Jesus lived the perfect life, died in our place, and was raised on the third day. And we have chosen to follow him, and that's, that's why we're here. We continue that mission when we, when we do this. So the enemy there has no power anymore. Jesus conquered death. He conquered sin when he did that. And now he tells us, sorry, my page turned. He tells us that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's nothing that can stand up to the work that Jesus did. He conquered sin. He conquered death. It has no more place. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been given the power of no. You can look at sin and say, no, I don't want that. You can read throughout scripture and see that before we found Jesus, we didn't have the option to say no to those things. We were bound, we were chained to sin. But when we found Jesus, we found life. We found the ability to break chains through the power of his name and to look at sin and say, no, that's not the best way. That's not the best option. So we continue on in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and, to, and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance or a stumbling block to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. So how do we go from Peter being cornerstone being you're the rock that I want to build the church on to Peter, to Peter being called Satan 
an adversary to the mission of God and a hindrance and a stumbling block? How do you go from being foundational to being something that stands in the way of someone that causes them to trip or causes them to fall as they're trying to walk out their faithful journey? Well, he tells us, you're thinking with the mind of man and not with the mind of God. When he addresses Peter in this passage, how does he first address him? He says, get behind me. Who are we? We, we are followers of Jesus. We're not meant to stand in the front. We're meant to stand behind and we're meant to follow. And in this situation, Peter decides to take charge. Peter de- decides to step in front of the plan and the will of God and try to tell Jesus what actually is supposed to happen. And a lot of us in our lives, we tend to do that. We'll be like, hey, I don't really want to go that way. And Jesus is like, well, are you going to follow me or are you going to lead? Because I, my call is to follow. So you have to follow me in my will and my ways. And as we walk into this next section of scripture, starting in verse 24, he addresses his disciples. So these are people that are already following him that he's talking to in this passage. He says, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. He opens up with saying to people that are following him, if any of you would come after me, this is Jesus giving them another opportunity to walk away because he's about to tell them what he calls us into as believers, as followers of Jesus, which is denial of self. What does that mean? That means yielding. That means surrendering. That means giving up your will in your way to his will in his way. That's what he calls us into. And not only does he call us into that, he takes it further and he says, now take up your cross. What does that mean? Well, he doesn't say take up your cross, walk a few steps and then lay it down or take yourself halfway through the journey and then lay the cross down. He says, take up your cross and it's followed by follow me. That means that it's a lifelong journey of taking up your cross and following him. So many of us can remember that date or that time when we gave our life to Jesus, you know, October 2nd, 2001, that's when I gave my life to the Lord, which is a very important day. But you know what else is really important is on April 11th, 2021, when you woke up this morning and said, Jesus, I surrender today. I surrender my mind, my will, my emotions to you today. And then on April 12th, 2021, when you wake up and it's Monday morning and you're tired and you say, Jesus, I don't know if I have the strength to finish out this day of work. I don't know if I can do it again. I surrender. I ask that you would come and fill me, that you would give me your strength and your power that I might live as Jesus today. And then on April 13th, 2021, when you wake up in the morning, you declare that he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and that you surrender to his will and his way so that you might love your coworkers more fully or love your spouse better or your kids. That's what he's calling us into. That's what he's inviting us into. The passage directly following this says, for whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. D.L. Moody has a quote that I love. He says that the devil gained the whole world and lost his soul. Who would trade places with him? A lot of times I feel like when we read this passage, we we can't really connect with what that looks like. But how accurate is that quote? The devil gained the whole world and lost his soul. Who would trade places with him? You see, Jesus, he has a certain way of living life. He has a certain pattern 
to the way that he lives his life so that he can correctly walk out the will of the father. His goal is to only do what he sees the father doing, which means he has to be attentive to the plans that the father has set before him and listen to the guiding of the Holy Spirit in order to know what to do. And he designed his life around that. And as you read the gospels, you can see how Jesus paces his life with often going away to lonely places to pray or to quiet places to pray or how he spends the first 30 years of his life not in ministry, preparing for ministry. And then he starts his ministry and the first thing he does is he goes away for 40 days and nights to pray and fast. And when the enemy shows up to try and test him and tempt him with scripture, he knows it well enough to go, that's out of context and not accurate. And that's what he's inviting us into. But the key to all of these things is follow me. If we just look at the Bible and we see a, rule, a thing of rules that say do's and don'ts, and your goal is to hit enough do's to be worth it or to make it or to hit some unattainable goal, you've missed the point. Jesus did all of this. He set all this up. He asks for surrender because he desires a personal, intimate relationship with you. And that requires time. Many of us talk about how we're too busy or we don't have time or we're not available. And so we fix our schedules and we have everything set exactly the way that we want. And we go, okay, God, you can have Sunday morning and Wednesday night. How do you think my marriage would be if I told my wife, you can have Sunday morning and Wednesday night? Probably not very good and probably also die, not last, right? But we do that with our relationship with Jesus. The only thing that makes Christianity different than all other ways is that we have an intimate personal God who seeks and desires to deeply know you personally and to love you like no one else. And that's what shapes and changes us and molds us to look more like Jesus. And that's how we can love the world the way that doesn't make sense. And that's how we can love our enemies and the people that hate us. And that's how we can see things on the news or see our neighbors do things that hurt our hearts, but don't change the way that we love them. It's a higher call. It's a higher way. It's his plan. And it's beautiful. I'm going to read uh, a couple quotes uh, real quick from one of my favorite books. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. If you would, just imagine this Jesus. Imagine as I'm saying these things that this is what Jesus is doing. Picture a stressed out Jesus snapping at Mary Magdalene after a long day. I can't believe you dropped the hummus, sighing and saying to himself, I seriously need a glass of wine. Or can you picture Jesus half talking to you, half texting on his iPhone in sporadic, uh-huh, punctuating a one-sided conversation? Imagine Jesus saying, oh, I would heal you right now, but I have a meeting I have to get to. If you're still here later, I might be able to fit you into my schedule. I've got to go. As I began to read that book and listen to sermons from him and some of the other people in his circle, I began to realize that my life looked a whole lot more like those lines and a whole not like the Jesus we see in the gospels. And that's when he began to do a work in me and start to shape and change the way I lived my life. I was already a follower. I was already a believer. I had already seen him for who he was and gone, yes. But I, I hadn't decided to pattern my life in a way that looked like his so that I could follow him more fully so that I could truly live a surrendered life that he had called me to. So if you would, just for a minute, just picture 
I encourage you to do a, a longer version of this on your own this evening or, or sometime this week if you have free time. Imagine you have a piece of paper and a pen or you're sitting down at your laptop and you can type some things out. Start by writing the first thing that you do every day, generally. And kind of pattern that through what your normal day looks like to the last thing that you do every day. And if you'd like, you can extend that to what does a week look like? Do you take a Sabbath? Do you not take a Sabbath? Month? Do you spend time on this or that thing? Year? Obviously, that'll take more time if you choose to do that at home. But now if you take that piece of paper and you were to hand that to the person next to you or to your neighbor that you don't know or further away, would they be a more loving or less loving person? Would they have fear, anxiety? Or would they have love and peace and hope? Would they be able to care for the people that are around them? Would they be filled with the Holy Spirit? Would they be able to do the ministering work that he's called us to? And as I began to do this myself, I began to see that I didn't like the way my piece of paper looked. And I knew that the way my piece of paper looked was not gonna make me more like Jesus the way that I desired. So I had to start changing some things. And I didn't start by rearranging the whole piece of paper to try and make it perfect because that doesn't exist. But what I knew I could do is I could pick one thing to start with and change it for something I wanted to do. And I started with the first thing I do every day. I didn't like that the first thing I did every day was pick up my phone and scroll through Instagram or see what the world decided wanted to happen that day. So I decided I'm not picking up my phone as the first thing that I do. I'm gonna wake up, groggily walk to the shower and pray. And then I'm gonna go get a cup of coffee and I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna read my Bible. And sometimes it's really quiet and sometimes my nine-month-old growls at me while I'm doing it. But both are great. But I can tell you that since I've started doing that, am I perfect? No. But am I way better than I was? 100%. And has it changed and shaped and molded me to be a completely different person without a doubt? And that was just one thing on the list that I started to change. We're called to cultivate a lifestyle that looks like Jesus. And as we read the gospels, the red letters of the gospels, we can see a way that's different than our way. And we can see a pattern that is different than our pattern. See, many of us, we go throughout life and we have this response to interruptions. If we have a plan, all right, I need to get here by this time and I'm just gonna trudge on through, da, 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 interruption, and you're like, da! We have that initial response to interruption or, or someone cutting us off in traffic or, or whatever. There's, there's something in us that responds to things that are interrupting our plans and our control. What is that? I don't want that. I don't like that. There's a quote from John Ortberg where he says, the response we have to interruption is often who we really are. That initial response to anger or that initial response to the things that, are, that step up in front of us. See, but Jesus, he walked at such a pace that he was able to be interrupted and love people in the interruptions. If you read the gospels, the red letters, and you see what Jesus did, half or more of his ministry is an interrupted plan. He's walking from here to here and on the way, someone yells, son of David, have mercy on me. And he doesn't keep walking. He turns to the person. How often are we so busy and so active that we can't even recognize what God is trying to invite us into? We try to stand in front of Jesus like Peter and be like, I'm in control and I'm leading. When we're called to follow, when we're called to submit, when we're called to see, Jesus, what are you doing that I can partner with. 
If we would just partner with him more, the world would be a very different place than it is. We like to take charge. We like to have control. We like to plan our plans. And he's just waiting for a few people to go, not my plans, your plans. That's what he's calling us into. That's what he's inviting us into. There's a quote from John Orberg, another one. I love him. He says, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for the mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. You see, the great work of the enemy over the Western world, and specifically, I believe, the Western American church in a lot of ways, is just to lullaby us to sleep. Everything's okay. There's no war. There's no enemy. Nothing's trying to steal, kill, and destroy you. Your kids are going to be fine. Your family's going to be fine. Don't pray for them. Don't love people well. Think about self. But what if some people decided to wake up to what God's doing? What if we stopped allowing ourselves to be lulled to sleep? Even today, I'm sure while you were worshiping, or even maybe while I'm talking, you're able to worship or focus for a few seconds, and then all of a sudden, like a thought comes into your head about bananas. And you're like, I don't know why there's thoughts about bananas. That's called spiritual warfare. And the enemy is trying to distract you from what you're supposed to focus on. And we like to go, that's a weird thought. But the enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy you. He's out to take your attention off the things that matter. He's off to try and take you out of the fight. And based off what I see, he's done a pretty good job. And just in case you were wondering, he's been doing a lot longer than you and I have been alive. And if we won't look at Jesus only, we're not gonna make it on our own because that's not what we're called to. There's a way and it's Jesus' way. and He's inviting us into it. And it's about deep, personal, intimate relationship in following him and following his will and his way. If the ministry teams wanna go ahead and come up, um, I'm gonna close with a quote um, from one of my favorite books, which is The Cost of Discipleship um, by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who uh, he was an amazing man who lived a life of ministry in Nazi Germany and was martyred in a concentration camp. And this quote to me is kind of like an over, it just sums up what my heart is and what we're called to as believers. So we're gonna have ministry teams that, that come up and pray. And um, some, some of them will have masks, um, some won't have masks. That's just for you and your comfortability to go to who you feel led if you would like. If there are some things in your life that you'd like to surrender to the Lord today, there's an open door for that. If you have any ailments, if you're hurting, if you have sickness, whether physical, mental, or emotional, these teams are here ready and willing to pray for you. And if you'd like to give your life to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords today, I'll pray with you. One of them will pray with you. Someone in this church will pray for you because there is another way and it's a good way. And he's inviting us into an abundant life if we'll just only choose to follow and live it. This is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. To be called to a life of extraordinary quality and to live up to it and yet to be unconscious of it is indeed a narrow way to confess and testify to the truth as it is in Jesus. And at the same time, to love the enemies of that truth, his enemies and ours is to love them 
with the, and to love them with the infinite love of Jesus Christ is indeed a narrow way. To believe the promise of Jesus that his followers shall possess the earth and at the same time face our enemies unarmed and defenseless, preferring to incur injustice rather than to do wrong ourselves is indeed a narrow way. To see the weakness and wrong in others and at the same time refrain from judging them. To deliver the gospel without casting pearls before swine is indeed a narrow way. The way is utterly hard and at every moment we are in danger of straying from it. If we regard this way as one we follow in obedience to an external command, if we are afraid of ourselves at all, time, all the time, it is indeed an impossible way. But if we will behold Jesus Christ going on before step by step, we shall not go astray. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your way. God, I just ask that we would take these truths to heart, that we would take your word, your teaching, your ways, that we would make your ways our ways. Father, I ask that the Holy Spirit would begin to do a work in us that would shake us and change us and wake us up to the realities of the war that we're waging for our friends and our neighbors. In our world, we like to have big backyard fences and small dining room tables, but you're calling us to fellowship and relationship friendship with you, friendship with our neighbors, friendships with those that aren't in this building and don't know you or those who are in this building and don't know you. Jesus, I ask that you would begin to teach us and equip us and call us to your will and your way that we might once again see Acts 2 happen in this church and in Cobb County and in Georgia and in the United States, that we might see your fire fall once again, that we might see blind eyes open, that we might see people come to know you and that it wouldn't stop and that it would continue until you return, Lord, and that we would worship you for all, all days and all eternity and all time. Father, we submit to you. We love you. We trust you. We ask that you would continue to reveal and teach and talk to us, that we would experience and encounter the depths of your love and your call for us to go deeper and deeper with you. And Father, where we are weak, where we don't understand, where we don't have a mind to figure out things, I ask that you would just be so kind to walk at the pace that we need and to show us the steps to take. I thank you for it, in Jesus' name.